0: Psalm chapter 18, we're going to read the first 31 verses. Psalm 18, verse 1. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also, and came down with darkness under his feet, and he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. And the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God for all his judgments were before me and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Father, we are so thankful for your word We're thankful for this amazing hymn book that we find in the middle of our Bibles, the book of Psalms. We're thankful for King David and the way that you used him to write so many beautiful and amazing hymns of the faith, the Psalms. I pray today as we look at this one, even as we just narrow down our focus to one verse from this one, the Lord will speak to our hearts today. Fill me with your spirit, Father. Forgive me for anything that stands in in the way of my being a completely useful vessel for you. And fill me and help me today to preach the word of God as you would have it preached. And pray for boldness, I pray for compassion, I pray for accuracy. I pray, Lord, I'd say everything that needs to be said and not a word more. And I pray all of us, Lord, to have word, our ears to hear, that this day as the word is preached, our minds and hearts would be open, the Holy Spirit would speak to us and we would listen And that we would respond as you would have us to do. Help us, Father, to think about this. Reasons why we ought to trust God. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are all kinds of reasons why people don't trust God. Ignorance of the truth would be one, wouldn't it? Some simply haven't heard. And so they don't trust God. Ignoring the truth would be another. It's not the same thing, sounds like it, but it's not. Some have heard, but ignore its implications to their lives. Disillusionment would be yet a third reason, I think. Some know the truth, but they've been disappointed or distressed or hurt, so they turn away. And, of course, the fourth reason why some folks don't trust God is just plain old rejection of the truth, having heard it and And knowing it, they simply refuse to accept it. It's common today, just as it was in Jesus' day. Nothing new about that. The fact is, some will be in hell because they never heard the truth. That is a terribly hard thought. And one that ought to drive all of us to a soul winning fervor to spread our faith everywhere we can. Some will be in hell because they heard it and ignored it. Maybe they... Uh, procrastinated, thought they had plenty of time, when in fact they did not. The older we get, the more we are astonished, aren't we, at the rate at which time passes. I don't care how old you are in this room, you don't have tomorrow. There's no guarantee of it whatsoever. You don't have plenty of time. The reality is you have no time ignoring the truth, putting off dealing with the truth until another day. That lands many a person in hell. And some will be in hell because of disillusionment. They get their eyes on others or on circumstances, or on pain, or discouragement, or disappointment, and they choose to turn away from the truth as real. They, they They don't trust Christ because of what they see around them, rather than accepting Him because of what they see in Him. And of course, many will be in hell because they simply rejected the truth, hearing the truth, admitting in their heart that it's most likely true. They nonetheless prefer their sin, and so they say no to God. And I ask you this morning, where are you in respect to these things? Do you trust God? I mean, really. Have you placed your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross? Or have you thought about it, given it some 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 cogitation, but you've never really acted on it? Where are you with respect to these things? Maybe you're one of our young folks, our young people. And you come here for 90 minutes on Sunday morning, you hear one thing. And then you go home, oftentimes to a home where the TV and the Internet absolutely never stop. And you hear something completely different. And then you go to your school where the truth is absolutely not taught. The opposite of God's truth is taught so vociferously that it's actually illegal for them to teach you the truth. And then you find yourself finding it nearly impossible to believe. Maybe that's some of you. Maybe maybe some of you older in the faith ones have trusted for a long time. Now find yourself facing some things. It's hard to hold on. Disappointment or pain or sickness or failure, whether in yourself or in others, can cause even the strongest among us to waver. Or maybe, maybe you just think all this is silliness. Maybe you just think it's nonsense. You would not be alone in that thought because that actually is the predominant thought in the world today with respect to these things, especially in our culture. Perhaps to you, Christianity is just a quaint mythology, an old-fashioned relic from a much less enlightened time. You're above such things. You're much too advanced in your thinking to believe something like that. Maybe you like the trappings of the faith, or the music, or the traditions, or the people. But you really believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was the Son of God, is the Son of God that died for you, well, that's nonsense. Maybe you're like the man who sat across my kitchen table from me one time as we talked about these things. and I shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I asked him after a long back and forth conversation whether he believed that Jesus Christ was indeed the son of God who died on the cross to give him forgiveness for sins. And he looked at me with the most pitiable expression, pitiful, pitying me, that is, that I was so backward in my thinking. And he laughed, and he said, of course not. It was just silliness to him. You see, people have all kinds of reasons for not trusting God. Every one of those reasons is bogus. Every one of them is false, to be sure. But when a person holds to such a viewpoint, the devil has this way of making it seem so valid in their mind. So the question I have in my mind today, and the question I believe the psalmist answers for us so wonderfully today... In this psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 18, is this. Is there any reason to trust God? Is there any reason to trust him? We read 31 verses of the psalm, but I'm going to concentrate only on just one verse, uh, which I think uh, gives three reasons why we should trust God. It's verse number 30. Verse number 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. So if you're taking notes this morning, there's those three things. Three wonderful, undeniable reasons to trust God. His perfection, his proven word, and his protection of the trusting. Let's consider them in order. First of all, his perfection. As for God, his way is perfect. You can trust God because his way is perfect. There is nobody else on earth or above the earth or under the earth of whom that can be said. There has never been anybody else on earth of whom that can be said, except for the man Jesus Christ, who was himself God in the flesh. Only of God can it be said his way is perfect. I I spent some time as I was looking at this verse and thinking about it. I, I just kind of tore it apart and I studied every word in it. I looked up all the words. I even looked up the word way. The word way, and you would think we'd all understand what the word way means, but I was amazed at the many colors and shades of meaning there are just in that little word, way. It means, for instance, that his road is perfect. No matter the apparent condition of that road to our eyes, it is perfect. No matter the distance he might require us to travel on that road, it is Perfect. His way, the road he takes us on, the journey he causes us to undertake is perfect. And as I thought along those lines, I couldn't help but go back to a family vacation that I had one time in the beautiful state of Montana. It's a beautiful place. I recommend it highly. was a family vacation. All of us were there. Allison, my daughter-in-law, was there, and she loved horses. And so she had heard that there was a place some distance away where they had wild herds of wild horses that you could go and look at. And so she said, let's go there. So we said, okay. And I found the, uh, the address of the place, and I punched it into my GPS, and we set off on our little minivan heading for the wild horses. And uh, we were driving along just fine, beautiful paved road. Everything was fine until in its soft little female voice, the GPS said, in 100 feet, turn right. And so I got about 100 feet up, and here was this driveway going off to the right. I went on past it, thinking that can't possibly be it, and then the GPS said, make a U-turn. So I did, went down that road. And we traveled on that road, which was indeed just looked like a gravel driveway, out into what looked like a cow pasture. There was no civilization, there was no nothing, there was just field. And we kept driving until the gravel began to dissipate. And then we found ourselves just on two little lanes of gravel that were one tire track wide for a while until they began to dissipate and then we found ourselves on just hard-packed earth for a while until it began to dissipate and then we found ourselves with just nothing but two ruts where obviously someone had driven somewhere sometime in history we kept on going by now we had driven so far that we could not turn around because i was almost out of gas and i was out in the middle of nowhere there were signs along the sides of this quote-unquote road that said, this is such and such an Indian reservation, do not leave the road. And so we were afraid to get out of the car for fear of what might come running up over the hills. And we kept going. And when I say we went miles, I am not kidding. We drove about a hundred miles through that field, which appeared to be nothing. Nothing. There was zero civilization. We saw not another person, not an animal, not a car, nothing for all that hundred miles. I was to the point where I was believing that they were going to discover us years from there. A family of skeletons sitting in a rusting minivan alongside of this road. When all of a sudden the GPS said, in a hundred feet, turn right. And sure enough, there was a highway. And we were on it, and we turned, and we were exactly where we were supposed to be. You see, the road looked anything but perfect. As a matter of fact, it looked downright desolate and scary. But it was the right road, and it got us right where we needed to be. see, that's the way God's road is. It's perfect. His way is perfect. His road is perfect. That word way also means that the manner in which he gets you there is perfect. His actions are perfect. His conduct is perfect. His directions are perfect. That's a glorious thought, isn't it, when you think about that little word. All of those things that I just touched on are part and parcel of the definition of the word way. His way is perfect means his road is perfect, his distance is perfect, his journey is perfect, his manner is perfect, his actions are perfect, his conduct is perfect, and his direction for you is perfect. You can trust him. You can trust him. Of course, I also looked up the word perfect, and I found that it has some pretty colorful meanings, too. I found out that his way is perfect means his way is complete. It is unscathed, intact, blameless, without fault, free of blemish, impeccable, honest, devout. Praise God, of whom else in, in, in the world, or of what other person could these things be said? His way is perfect. Some folks want to trust today in worldly leaders, of course, I guess that's not just today it's All ages, someone to put their trust in worldly leaders. Can his way is perfect be said of any worldly leader that lives today or has ever lived in the past? To ask that is to answer it, isn't it? Of course not. They all have their flaws. Can his way is perfect be said of any family member? Even the most beloved, whom you may admire and respect. Sadly, even our most beloved and cherished. Family members or loved ones have flaws. Can, can his way is perfect be said of any spiritual leader? Some are astonished when a pastor or a priest falls, stumbles, sins. But why the astonishment? They are no more perfect than anybody else. You cannot say his way is perfect of them or of anybody. It can only be said of God that his way is perfect. The psalmist said he is the rock, his work is perfect, all his ways are justice, a God of truth, and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Actually, that was Deuteronomy, I, I apologize. Psalm 25 says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. When my way seems... Dark and drear in the future, I don't know. My heart feels so empty as the tears unending flow. When my heart breaks with sorrow and a tempest fills my soul, this one thing I know for sure, my God is in control. When the toils of life are come and my heart is worn with care, I faint neath the burden of a cross I cannot bear. When the joy has departed from my sorrow-stricken soul, this one thing I know for sure, my God is in control. His way is perfect. His way is perfect. Though I don't understand his wise and loving plan, his way is perfect. You can trust God because his way is perfect. And yet there's another reason here why you can trust him. You can trust him because of his perfection. You can also trust him because of his proven word. The word of the Lord is proven. I came across a couple of sources that suggested that that word, word there, the the word of the Lord, refers to some specific promises God had made to David, and it had a very narrow scope, but that's too narrow. I don't believe for a minute that's what's being referred to here. The word of the Lord refers to all of his special revelation to mankind, inspired by the Holy Spirit, spoken and written by his prophets and apostles and servants and collected into this magnificent book we now call the Bible. If you've attended this church any time, you know that we have some certain esteem in which we hold the Bible. It is our only rule for faith and practice. We care not for man's fads or culture's whims or anything else that might for any reason contradict this God-breathed, Holy Spirit-inspired word of God. We certainly fail in our application of it often, and we certainly can't say now or any time that we've mastered it in any way, for it's God's word. It's infinite in scope and majesty. It's far beyond anything, our fallen little pea-brains can possibly totally understand. But we accept it and we believe it and we revere it and we read it and we study it and we strive with every fiber of our being to teach it to all who will hear. It's our roadmap. It's our guidebook. It's filled with signposts that lead us to the Savior, point us to God, and guide us in living for him. It's his love letter to us. Oh, how we love the Bible. And David says here that it's proven. Proven. The word of the Lord is proven. That word is from a Hebrew word that uh, is used of silver or gold being refined by the smith. It speaks of smelting, refined and tested by fire. One source described it just that way, as being proven as metals are tried by fire and proved to be genuine. Another source said the Lord's word of promise is absolutely reliable. It is compared to metal that has been refined in fire and cleansed of all impurities. The word of the Lord is proven. Now, there are always those in every generation and in every place who think they have found some new thing that disproves the Bible, cast doubt on its authenticity. Fools. No words ever put to paper, have been through the fire like these have been. No writings have ever faced even a millionth of a percent of the scrutiny directed at the Bible. No book has been attacked and vilified and disparaged and hated and legislated against and outlawed more than this one. And yet, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's still here. It's still here. Unchanged, unscathed, just exactly as it has always been. I want to ask those who do not trust God for whatever reason, how do you explain that? How do you explain the presence of this book? This book, whose words were penned over a period of thousands of years by 40 different writers in three different languages, is actually a collection of 66 separate distinct books which miraculously and without any possibility of collusion between the authors all tell the same story. Perfectly. One common story. Just this morning I read something that our missionary to Ireland Andrew Kohler posted, and so I commented on there. I'm going to steal that and put that in my sermon this morning. So here it is. He wrote, the Bible is the most translated book in all of history. The whole Bible has been translated into over 540 languages, and 2,890 languages have had at least some portion of the Bible. The Bible is the number one best-selling book in all of history, over 3 billion copies. It is the most widely read book in the world. There is no question that it is the most life-changing book ever written. The Bible is also the most valuable book in history. A single copy of the Gutenberg Bible, printed in 1456, was sold in 1987 for over 4 million US dollars. One copy of William Tyndale's original printed New Testament was sold for over 1 million pounds. The impact of the Bible upon Western civilization has been absolutely enormous. The Bible has inspired the greatest literature, the greatest art, the greatest achievements in architecture, the rule of law, the separation of powers, checks and balances, representative government, the sanctity of life, compassion, charity, liberty, and justice. The Bible tells the greatest true story ever told about the greatest man who accomplished the most important task ever, the purchasing of our salvation with his blood. You see, one of the reasons that we can trust God, that we can believe God, is because we have in our hands this unexplained miracle called the Bible. You can say you don't believe it if you want. That's just simply rejecting it without any basis for doing so. But you cannot explain it away. Multiplied thousands of infidels far smarter than you and far smarter than me have tried and failed. It cannot be explained away. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. In the honeycomb. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in Him. You can trust God because of His perfection. You can trust God because of His proven word. And yet, there is one third reason that is mentioned here. You can trust God because of His protection of the trusting. He is a shield. To all who trust in Him. This Wednesday past, we had an absolutely wonderful prayer meeting here. I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe it was the highest attendance that we have ever had at one of our normal midweek prayer meetings. And as I looked around the room, somewhat astonished at that fact, I couldn't help but chuckle at the fact that I had really wrestled with canceling prayer meeting because of Fair Week, and I could imagine the Lord's amusement at my lack of faith. There used to be a member of our church who attended prayer meetings all the time, and and, uh, they had a particular prayer request that became very routine. When sharing requests, always there was this request mentioned for God's protection. God's protection. If If you're a new believer, you may not have experienced it a lot yet, but if you've been in the faith any length of time, you've come to know experientially, that the Lord is a shield to all who trusts in him. He protects the trusting. Ultimately, our protection is eternal in nature. We can know that no matter where he leads us in this life and no matter the testing we must endure, no matter the troubles and trials we must face, ultimately and eternally we are safe in him. There remains a rest for the people of God. Our ultimate protection is eternity, our ultimate Protection is then our ultimate realization of all that we have in Christ is not now, but in glory. It's an old story, and I, I think I've told it before. I think Brother Don even shared it one time uh, before the story of Henry C. Morrison. But it's a good reminder. Henry C. Morrison was a missionary who had served in Africa for over 40 years. And at the end of that long period of service, he, he had to return to the States because of illness. And so he and his wife hopped on a boat and came to New York Harbor. And when they got to New York Harbor, there was this huge crowd gathered. Because you see, there was somebody else on the boat besides Henry C. Morrison. President Teddy Roosevelt was also on the boat. And he was returning from one of his African safaris. And so Henry Morrison looked and saw this huge crowd coming in this great party and, 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 and celebration and jubilation over the fact that President Roosevelt had come home. And Morrison got thumbsucky. He got upset. He got resentful. And he turned to God in anger and he said, I have come back home after all this time in service to the church. And there is no one, not even one person here, to welcome me home. And a still small voice came to Morrison in his mind and said, My child, you're not home yet. And so we have to remember that, our ultimate protection, our ultimate reward, our ultimate understanding of God in, in all of these things. It's only going to be known when we reach heaven. But with that being said, there is nonetheless a knowledge, and it grows in us, does it not, as we get older and older in the faith, that even in this sometimes hard life here in this ever-fallen world, he is a shield to all who trust in him. Second Samuel chapter 22, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. David knew it. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He said that way earlier in the very psalm we're looking at right now. Psalm 84, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly, O Lord of hosts. Blessed is the man who trusts in you. He is a shield to those who trust in him. So if you're one who struggles to trust, if you're one who struggles to believe, let me, let me, let me give you something that you could try, an experiment that I would suggest. Find an old Christian. I didn't mean to look at you when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I don't know who I could have safely looked at right there. Find an old Christian. Not a young Christian. For young Christians haven't had as much experience it with yet. Old Christians who have lived and walked with Jesus for a lifetime. You know what they're going to have? They're going to have stories to tell. Every single one of them. About how God has protected them throughout their days. Some will be small stories. Some will be miraculously large stories, but all, every one, I guarantee it, if you will take me up on this challenge, every one of them will testify to the truth of this verse. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Talk to as many old Christians as you have to, and you might notice we have a few in this room. I would be one. Talk to as many as you need to, to get it clearly and firmly planted in your mind. You can trust God because of his protection. Of the trusting. Well, I asked it in the introduction, and I'll ask it again now in closing. Is there any reason to trust God? You might think you have good reason for not trusting him, but I've shared three reasons with you this morning why you should, and you cannot escape them. They are true. They are undeniable. They are unexplainable. You can trust him because he alone is perfect. You can trust him because his word is and has been proven. You can trust him because of the protection he provides for those who do Trust him. There's an old hymn that we've sung for hundreds of years in the faith. This old hymn, I think, might even be older than our King James Bible. I think it was written in the 1400s. It says, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he, faithful, will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice, who ruled them while he dwelt below. Be still, my soul, when dearest friends depart and all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then shalt thou better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe thy sorrow and thy fears. Be still, my soul, thy Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment, grief, and fears are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed we shall meet at last. And so here's the challenge for today. It's very simple. Whatever it is that has kept you from trusting God and being saved, or whatever it is that has caused the faith that once saved you to falter and weaken, hold it up to the white light of these truths and see it for what it is. It's a lie of Satan. And then kneel here before God the God who loves you, and be saved or be restored. Some here may need to turn to Christ for the very first time in faith, for that first time, believing and be saved. And some today may need to turn to him again, having wavered and wanting to come home. Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the glorious truths of this one simple verse of Scripture, I pray, Today, that it has spoken to the hearts of these, your people, just as you would have it to. Lord, if there is anyone here today who has struggled with trusting God, even for the very first time, I pray, Lord, they'd think about the perfection that is you. They'd think about the proven nature of your word. They'd see in others how you protect those who trust you. And I pray they'd turn to you in faith and believe. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Impress that verse upon their heart. Impress that truth upon them that they might know and trust and believe and be saved this day. Lord, if there's anybody like that, I pray they would step out and come and let us show them from Scripture how they can uh, truly understand these things. And yet, Lord, I think this passage is even more directed at those who uh, perhaps have already trusted Christ, but maybe are wavering in their faith, struggling with continuing to believe, struggling with doubts, Lord, help us to trust you, no matter what comes our way. And if there's anyone in our midst who's going through something, uh, whether it's uh, something of their own doing, some sinful situation, or whether it's just the discouragement and the trials of life and difficulties that you have put in their path, I pray this day, Father, that they too would step out and say, Lord God, I trust you. I trust you. Bless as we sing. Help us to make whatever decisions we need to. We thank you in Jesus' name.